This is an audio-only version of a Then and Now video. To see the full video, search Then and Now on YouTube. Enjoy. To be governed is to be watched over, inspected, spied on, directed, legislated, regimented, closed in, indoctrinated, preached at, controlled, assessed, evaluated, censored, commanded, all by creatures that have neither the right, nor the wisdom, nor virtue. To be governed means that at every move, operation, or transaction, one is noted, registered, entered into a census, taxed, stamped, priced, assessed, patented, licensed, authorised, recommended, admonished, prevented, reformed, set right. Right, corrected. Government means to be subjected to tribute, trained, ransomed, exploited, monopolized, extorted, pressured, mystified, robbed, all in the name of public utility and the general good. Proudhon, as we saw in the last video, was not an orderly writer, despite ironically arguing that anarchy is order. So what does he mean by that, anarchy is order? Well, there are a few themes orderly ones, that can be found throughout Proudhon's work, that began what is now referred to as mutualism, a type of libertarian socialism. The tension between liberty and order is always at the heart of Proudhon's politics. He intended his mutualist philosophy to be an approach to political life that could be a synthesis of the notions of private property and collective ownership a synthesis of liberty and order. Both private property and collective ownership had major flaws. So what could the solution be? As we saw in What is Property, justice is at the heart of the solution. Fairness, right and morality should be the premise of economic, social and political arrangements. But at the same time, Proudhon argued that the only law people should follow is the law that they choose for themselves. Why would people voluntarily follow any law? And where would that law come from? For Proudhon, justice, equality, equation, equilibrium and harmony are all synonymous terms. They are laws of the universal, laws of humanity. Morality is part of the universal order of things. If we work out the correct, the right, the moral way of doing things, then we can achieve a peaceful equilibrium. Knowing this, though, means using our reason, being rational. Imagine I'm angry at someone in the street and have an impulse to shout at and even punch them. It's my ability to think logically through the events that might happen after that help me to know that it's probably not a good idea. The reason then we don't steal, fight and murder is not, mostly at least, to do with the threat of arrest, but because we know, through our reason, the repercussions that follow from acting immorally. We'll be ostracised, disliked, met with retribution and so on. This is a moral law. We act in an ethical way because we can rationally calculate the consequences. It's a metaphysical law of order that sort of hangs above us. I use the same type of reasoning to avoid the impulse of eating too much cake or getting drunk all the time. Following the moral law then means not being a slave to my immediate passions, but following what's rational logical, reasonable. Proudhon says, 
In society, as well as in the individual, reason and reflection always triumph over instinct and spontaneity. It's not the actual law, the juridical law, that stops us stealing. It's the moral law, our own reason. He says, It's by our reflective and reasoning powers, with which we seem to be exclusively endowed, that we know that it's injurious, first to others and then to ourselves, to resist the social instinct which governs us, and which we call justice. It's our reason which teaches us that the selfish man, the robber, the murderer, in a word, the traitor to society, sins against nature, and is guilty with respect to others and himself. This moral law has had a number of names, the voice of conscience, enlightened self-interest, the innate love of others. But as societies, individuals, cultures, humans progress, we'll become better at understanding what's right and what's wrong, what's going to lead to a social equilibrium overall. He writes, In living with their reason, man first follows a chief, the father, the patriarch, the elder, the good and the wise. The more ignorant we are, the more we rely on obedience to receive norms and pass down wisdom. But as we become more educated, have a better understanding of the world, the more we can rely on our own judgment. He says, If he obeys no longer because the king commands, but because the king demonstrates the wisdom of his commands, it may be said that henceforth he will recognise no authority and that he has become his own king. Ultimately, by means of self-instruction and the acquisition of ideas, man finally acquires the idea of science, that is, of a system of knowledge in harmony with the reality of things and inferred from observation. Now, you can probably see where all of this is going. Anarchism is the absence of any authority, any master, any sovereign, that a person doesn't choose to follow themselves through their own reason and calculation, their own volition. Proudhon writes that anarchism will be the sovereignty of reason having been substituted for that of revelation, the notion of contract succeeding to that of compulsion, economic critique revealing that political institutions must now be absorbed into the industrial organism. We fearlessly conclude that the revolutionary formula can no longer be direct government or any kind of government, but must be no more government. Anarchism is moral self-direction. This is what he means by anarchy is order. The freedom of which we have reason to be proud does not consist in liberation from the laws of truth and justice. Quite on the contrary, it grows in the measure to which we come closer to justice and truth. On the other hand, it declines in the degree to which we recede from them, so that the greatest amount of freedom coincides with the greatest recognition of right and duty, and the greatest unfreedom with extreme ignorance and corruption. Now, this all sounds well and good, but it's all very abstract. How would societies organise in a world where individuals only follow their own moral law? As he argues in What is Property, thinking about the logic of property will lead any reasonable person to conclude that all possession is, if we are not using the object, communal. So, does communism follow from this realisation?
In short, no. He thinks communism dictates the moral law to the individual. He writes, the doctrinaire, authoritarian, dictatorial, governmental, communist system is based on the principle that the individual is essentially subordinate to the collective, that from it alone he has his right in life, that the citizen belongs to the state like a child to the family, that he is in its power and possession, in menu, and that he owes it submission and obedience in all things. Instead, Proudhon wishes to preserve the freedom of individualism. He says man is very willing to obey the law of duty, serve his country and oblige his friends, but he wishes to labour when he pleases, where he pleases, and as much as he pleases. He wishes to dispose of his own time, to be governed only by necessity, to choose his friendships, his recreation and his discipline, to act from judgment, not by command, to sacrifice himself through selfishness, not through servile obligation. Communism is essentially opposed to the free exercise of our faculties, our noblest desires, to our deepest feelings. In conclusion, he says, property is the exploitation of the weak by the strong. Communism is the exploitation of the strong by the weak. But he thinks that communism does contain the seeds of truth. He says it's the first basic revolt against rampant individualism. It's a crude expression of sociability. This sociability, he says, is what gives rise to our sense of justice, the recognition of the equality between another's personality and our own. Property wishes for independence and Communism seeks equality and law. Is there a third way? Yes. Liberty. Fundamentally, Proudhon argues, politics is a matter of association, of people coming together on an equal footing. Association leads to equality, he argues. Two men fishing share their catch. Two merchants in business share their profits. Gardeners share their tasks, as we saw in What is Property? If a hundred people land on an island, they claim equal occupancy to it. And this is the core of mutualism. Mutual, reciprocal association. A mutualist society would be organised by agreements between individuals and groups. Each individual has a right to participate in the means of producing, and to the product of their association, their town, their village. What's important is the principle of mutual respect, tit for tat, treating others as if you wish to be treated. This is reciprocity, and it should simply be extended to the economic and political spheres of life. It's a formula for justice that requires to promise and guarantee each other service for service, credit for credit, measure for measure, security for security, value for value, and liberty for liberty. In practice, mutual contracts between individuals would build into associations and organisations. These would contract together into political contracts. Society would be arranged from the bottom up into communes and federations, with the higher subordinated to the lower. Proudhon does then accept some kind of central federation or government if necessary, but it should be minimal and subordinate to the communes, associations and federations within it. Anyone has a right to secede at any time.
But how would justice be assured in an anarchical society? By what measure would contracts and associations be considered just? For Proudhon, if morality and justice are rational, there must be some way to measure whether something is in fact just or not. The idea of value and justice are interlinked. If things, wages, exchanges, prices are judged correctly, then equilibrium could be found across society. Everything has its just price. But the wage labourer bargaining to increase wages is not negotiating from a position of fairness under capitalism because they're forced to sell their labour. He writes, How many nails is a pair of shoes worth? If we can solve this appalling problem, we shall have the key of the social system for which humanity has been searching for 6,000 years. In the presence of this problem, the economist recoils confused. The peasant, though, who can neither read nor write, replies without hesitation, as many as can be made in the same time and with the same expense. If all were paid depending on how much labour they'd contributed, then there would be balance, there would be equilibrium. This is the labour theory of value. He argues that the value of anything arises from three contributing factors, land, innovation and labour. But because both land and innovation are communal and shared by all, value should be measured by how much labour has been contributed and payments and contracts decided accordingly. He says, the price of every product in demand should be its cost in time and outlay. Well, I thought I'd conclude this video with some personal thoughts. I like Proudhon a lot. He is challenging to read because he comments on the politics of his day as much as political philosophy. But you learn a lot from him because of that. But I like him because he provides a really important and timely challenge to our view of property today. One that I think needs to be demystified and talked about culturally in an accessible way. I think too that he was prescient about communism, dictatorship and authoritarianism. And while his anarchism relies on a kind of rationalist utopianism, in that he puts utopian hopes on our ability to be rational all of the time, I think a return to some kind of utopian thinking is needed desperately. And he paints a picture of a society both just and free, that I think it's really important that we continue to move towards. At the very least, he should challenge your assumptions about what that society could possibly look like. Hey everyone, I feel very lucky to be able to say that I'm finally at the point where I can commit full time to making these videos. Um, it's a great honour to be able to do that. I absolutely love doing it. I'm going to make two or three videos a month and continue to improve the quality and the research and do a few more experiments and chats and rambles in between. But it is a time consuming job. It's a full time job and it is just me. So unfortunately, right now, Patreon is still the only way that then and now survives. So if you get 
any value from these videos whatsoever, then please consider pledging a dollar or two dollars on Patreon. If you pledge five dollars or ten dollars or more even, I will add your name to the credits, I will put scripts and the audio, and at some point the videos out early for Patreons only. So if there's anything you'd like to see there, then please let me know. But if you can't afford that right now, then of course it's enough to just press like, subscribe, share, and remember to click that bell to be notified to new videos. Thanks so much for watching and I'll see you next time. And I'll see you next time. And I'll see you next time.